Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. Hopefully this is the last one where I do the introduction twice, but who knows because I'm a creature of habit. I can't help myself. When the podcast turns on, I always say hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. Um, Henry, we actually just like to hear you introduce it. But don't stop. Well, I think I introduce it again separately in about five minutes, so you're in luck. Good for us. Great. Um, This week in the news section, I'm joined by Alicia and Kaz. Alicia, would you be able to just tell us a bit about what's been happening in the world of mountain biking in this last week? Yeah, so it's been a pretty good week. Um, I guess the big news is that the Cross Country World Championships just happened to wrap up our little stint of, I guess, watching everyone fight for their world championships in every discipline ever. And so that's been really cool to watch in Scotland. Watching XC can just be so cool because I think it brings an interpersonal dynamic that just doesn't really exist in a lot of other formats. And yeah, it just makes it interesting on a whole new level, I think. So women's race was dominated by Pauline ferrand Prevost, then Luana Lecomte, then Puck Peterse. All so cool to watch. The men's race also was Tom Pidcock, Sam Gaze, and Nino Scherter. I know we really appreciate watching downhill disciplines and following along with Enduro, but what do you guys think about following cross country and watching that happen? Yeah, it's great. I'll admit, I don't follow it super closely. Like I don't watch the entire race, but I do like to catch the highlights and see how it's going. And I mean, it's impressive just the speed that they're carrying, especially on the climbs, like watching this course, there's a spot where mm-hmm. you can also see, I felt a little bad for Nino because he was, there's a couple of points where it seemed like he was demoralized when he saw how fast Pidcock was going. You could just see it in his eyes, just <laughs> going like, really oh, fast. like, how is this guy doing that? And Pidcock is an animal. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how fast he's going right now. So yeah, I was entertained by it. Um, but again, yeah, as far as following along, I don't, I'm not the XC super fan, but I, I do enjoy catching it when I can. Sure. Yeah. I tried to watch it this year. I woke up a bit late, but I was like, okay, so I ended up watching the end of the race. So I wanted to see who won in real time. And then I thought I'd wait for the highlights. Didn't realize I'd be waiting like, you know, two or three days for three minutes of highlights. But hey, <laughs> yeah. man, I, if anyone is listening and wants to buy eight months worth of GCM Plus off me, I will sell it to you for a discounted <laughs> rate. You can have my login details. Honestly, I don't, Sorry, I've gone from <laughs> wait it, wait and see to, oh, maybe they'll get it better to now like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both are uh, really justifiable positions, I'd say. I think it's really cool watching just the up and coming riders. And yeah, in the women's field, we saw Puck Peterse. She's actually been dominating all of this year. So it's not a surprise to see her on the podium once again. Um, but it's her first year in the elites. And She's been doing so well. She's also a really strong cyclocross rider. And I'm just, she seems like, I mean, someone I just, I can just really sort of believe in and be excited to watch her career unfold. So I'm curious to see what she does next. And obviously Pauline ferrand Prevost has had a remarkable career. And so it's kind of just ridiculous that she can keep that going. And when she actually won both the XCC and XCO races, that's just, yeah, kind of insane. Men's race two, sort of similar story. Sam Gaze actually took what I think is his top result ever, um, getting second in the guys. Tom Kid Pitcock, um, obviously so fast. And then Nino Scherter, kind of similar to Pauline. It's just so wild that he can continue to ride a bike that fast. Can I um, say my claim to fame with Sam Gaze? Oh, I would love to hear it. I once did a road race with Sam Gaze. And he was he was significantly better at me than ride, at riding bikes. <laughs> I mean, that's a good I've never raced him, but I can say with confidence he's also significantly better than me at riding bikes. I, 
I think he was coming, he had some real nasty injuries as well. I think he was coming off the back of one of the first ones. And wow. it's like, oh, I haven't, I, you know, I'm just getting back into this. And I was there like, <laughs> this is the best shape I've ever been in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> There's also some drama that I want to, I guess, mention just where the UCI last minute, like the day before the elites race changed the rules that decided uh, the order of the start grid, which is, it sounds like not a big deal because they were deciding kind of the mid-pack order, but it is a big deal for so many of the riders because, um, yeah, just how those sort of riders on the bubble do the pretty good but not 100% going to be on the national team type of riders. It, de- it determines whether they can go to the Olympics, which is a huge deal for all of them and life-changing, life-defining for a lot of them. So a lot of riders were really upset, not so much about the rule, which basically said riders from other disciplines who are at the top of the other disciplines can slot into sort of mid-pack start grid positions at world champs, which seems reasonable. But announcing that the day before, I think, was really poor planning and terrible timing. So I understand the riders being really upset about it for this thing that they've put like so much of their lives into. And then to just, yeah, have any bit of their chances change seems pretty devastating. What do you guys think about that? I think that the problem for me wasn't that Pidcock and Van der Poel got bumped forward because I think that currently, you know, they're either top GC riders in the Grand Tour or now reigning road world cycling champ. It was the Sargon <laughs> thing that I think was mm-hmm. kind of the bridge too far because then that, that did seem to be trading off name. Um, I don't know. Like I said, as long as it's, if the rule's the rule, but it does seem that it's kind of, um, you know, throwing itself at the feet of of big road names or whatever that, just turn up and do a couple of mountain bike races. Kaz, yeah, what do you exactly. think? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Just, and I think also the timing of it happening right before the race. You know, if they announced this mm-hmm. a few weeks before and it wasn't a big thing, but when people find out right before, like, oh, like these people are going to, they're going to be in contention now rather than starting from the back of the pack. I mean, if you're fast, you're going to beat them. But hey, I agree. They should do some more mountain bike racing, which I think actually <laughs> Peter Sagan has announced or he's going to announce that he's mountain biking yeah. next year. Like, which that'll be cool because is he junior XC world champion at some point? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, I mean, it's kind of be nice to have people from the road scene come in and see how they do. It's always just, you know, more fast guys mix it up. But I wonder where it ends though, because what would happen with, you know, sounds a bit silly, but to us, we know the differences between XC and downhill, but to the, to the, you know, the casual observer, they maybe don't understand some of the differences. Would it be the same going from road to downhill like obviously uh, not they'd be like no this is this is a separate discipline that needs to be respected yada 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 yeah. your big name mm-hmm. isn't going to help you here but hold on why isn't yeah i mean if you why, can why perform that at that level country? like yeah if you could qualify i mean can pegcock qualify for a downhill i'd watch that he says but, he could yeah but then i, I, I think he just show up to the race and qualify yeah <laughs> you need the points somehow but i guess yeah, you said points <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was just the, the announcement, the timing of that announcement was just kind of mm-hmm. strange. And I feel like maybe they, it didn't happen for the women's race. Is that right? They, It was in place, but they didn't really implement it for the women's race. Uh, it just felt like a lot of UCI drama again. So Yeah, I think it, it seems specifically targeted at Matthew Vanderpool, which seemed pretty bizarre to a lot of people. And he can't keep his hand out the cookie jar. Hey, he just like <laughs> front wheel washes. No. Like he rides like I ride. 
Like it's exactly <laughs> I, the reason I the reason I sympathise with it is because it's the exact same thing I'd do. <laughs> Excuse me. Imagine him at the start line. Sorry, guys, I'm not slumming it. And you know, economy rose with you. I'm going right up to at least business class, bumping through, wash out on the corner. <laughs> yeah, same just so Olympics, excited. He's like, know? I'm up here. I'm doing it. Oh, just down. <laughs> like for just a, a right hand turn, just out. It's like ah, yeah. Do do you think it works though? Having this sort of super series of world champs. What do you guys think, Alicia? I'm not sure. There were a lot of disciplines that I kind of, well, didn't even follow at all, I guess, that seemed a little unnecessary. And um, yeah, I kind of like just focusing on the ones that people are going to actually pay attention to and follow and that media can cover. And the series is a lot for me, but I don't know. I, I don't think I can have an opinion on the right way to do it. Yeah, I think it sort of makes sense. I'm sure it's crazy logistically. It's got to be insane trying to figure out all of the, how to stack the timing and, and the different locations mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, it's in Scotland, but it's not all in the same venue. So there are people, are, some people are traveling around and that type of thing. But I don't think there's a lot of crossover for the athletes. So for them, probably just, you know, this is their race and then they're done with it. They go somewhere else. But for the actual sure. like timing and the the media teams and stuff, it's got to be a little bit complicated. But Alicia? We do lots of podcasts and I often do just kind of, you know, it's normally me kind of padding for interesting bits or trying to find, you know, the exciting part to talk about. Now, speaking of banality, you know, often with these podcasts, it's really fun as I try and prod and poke to find the interesting bit or the thing that people need to tell me. You and I recorded a podcast, which was all the opposite in Whistler. It was something where it felt like everything we spoke about had a trajectory to go down that I desperately wanted to explore. <laughs> I think that, in fact, with both of you, we've done these Get to Know series of podcasts. I think we're going to have to do a part two for everyone, really, because it's so hard <laughs> to condense someone's relationship with mountain biking and the job and kind of their whole life down into 45 minutes, it turns out. Who'd have thought? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to the end of that one that we recorded in Whistler and it felt like we'd just started. And yeah, yeah that was kind of wild. Well, I was going to say, would both of you, we'll start with you, Kaz, would you be up for a part two? Was there anything that we didn't cover that you felt we should have in yours? Yeah, probably. I'd be up for it, but maybe not too soon. We don't want people to get sick of us right Yeah, in like a year Better or like something. Like in doses. Yeah, yeah. We can always revisit that. We can do like a ask us anything type thing or something. Yeah. I don't know. I people like are that, interested, yeah. but I like learning about everybody mm-hmm. too. I learn stuff by listening to the, or in, even being in yeah. part of these interviews. So yeah, we'll see. Absolutely. And Alicia, are you, um? how do you feel? Because sometimes you record stuff and then afterwards you're like oh my god what did i say uh, uh you know how oh, do you yeah. feel about oh, this yeah. going out getting any pranks yeah i feel just fine about it not exactly proud of it but not exactly ashamed <laughs> to have my name attached either like well, somewhere oh. we somewhere work to the same standard middle ground <laughs> yeah great Perfect. um i think we might have to call it something different from getting to know though because my takeaway from that experience was like we covered none of the basic getting to know questions yes. and a lot of just random tangents and yes, i like it it was tangents. good it also we just we get along well, so we can just sit in a room together and have a conversation, and that's pretty easy. Um, I'm just not sure it's a getting to know you conversation. Yes. But it works, hey. I think. Well, before I we get into that, we're going to actually do some comment gold. We're kind of reviving reviving the old format. Um, and this <laughs> one actually was on the, I don't know if you saw, there was a very beautiful bike, a particularly beautiful bike released in this last week from Pinarello. It's gorgeous. It's it's one of the most spectacularly good looking bikes that I've ever seen. And mm. Snowrider says, bonus points for the Shimano sticker on the chainstay, right in the middle of the SRAM drivetrain. And that made me laugh because 
it was clearly just playing dress ups for adults, which is fair enough. This Ineos Grenadiers bike. And they were like, just put the sponsors on, put the sponsors on. Do the sponsors have to match the parts? <laughs> we'll worry about that later. Just get the stickers on. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, guys, let's get into this conversation I had with Alicia recorded in Whistler. And I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Welcome, Alicia, to the podcast. This is your getting to know as this series we kind of co-opted to be now in podcast form, ticking through some of the Pink Bike staff. Now, just before we start recording, you mentioned that you were a little bit nervous about having like a, a podcast about you. Was that, is that the element that makes you a bit nervous? Yeah, it feels weird to sort of create the definitive resource where people will try to get information about me if they ever want to learn about me. Oh my God, that's so true. I want people to just learn things over time as, you know, clues about me exist in the world. Yes. But it feels like I have to remember to say important things about me. So true. So that those don't get left off the record forever. Or just, I might say something dumb, this podcast that becomes interconnected with my identity (laughs) forever. (laughs) The time Alicia got (laughs) cancelled. I know that Wikipedia, say if you're a famous person and you have a Wikipedia page, and then I know you get divorced. Mm-hmm. To change the Wikipedia page, if you don't own it, you have to have a citation from a a, a, a publication. <laughs> yeah. And so certain newspapers and things will just interview you so you can say that you got, like the BBC does it for people, huh. so you can say you got divorced or you had a big life change, Yeah. just so Wikipedia can have the citation to then change its important fact about you. Wow. Which is kind of weird. It's like the Wikipedia's won. That's like, you very know, it's, weird. It's meant to be for us, but yeah. Anyway, that's by the by. Um, yeah, it's not for us. In it's, that yeah. Case. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm glad I don't have a Wikipedia page about me. Well, yeah, not, I mean, someone might have enough information for uh, this podcast to, that makes to me make deeply one. uncomfortable. <laughs> well, that's something I'm really glad we've gone down this avenue straight away because, um, you know, we've been colleagues for a couple of years. We both joined Pink Bike at similar times. Yeah. Um, I know the way I know you is um, a head injury is such a small part of who you are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying it not have, hasn't had a large impact in your life but no, actually thank you for saying that yeah i mean i mean like it's like it's just i know for those listening this is going to be a podcast about alicia she's done some really wonderful articles and updates about her progress with um after having a tbi mm-hmm. um but this isn't what this is this isn't going to be a a journal through your healing process that's something different Do you, are you mm-hmm. kind of happy with how that is yeah i'm really happy with that just because well I guess I'm just tired of thinking about my TBI so much. Yes. And of course, it's an important part of my life these days. And I think I wrote recently in an article that it's been a really long time since I've had even a minute of not thinking about a TBI. And yeah, like I, I miss having a life where I can just exist and see the world, not through the like hyper awareness of being impaired or something yes that's so fair so that's all we're going to say about it great done and done love it um so where did you grow up i grew up north of san francisco in northern california and what was your journey into mountain biking like well it's been kind of zigzagging i think i started well i actually grew up kind of close to the claimed starting point of mountain biking so contentious yeah well just a little bit (laughs) Get the Canadian commenters in the comments, just where it hurts at the start, hey? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
No, but people around me were pretty into mountain biking, even though there wasn't a whole lot of actually what I would consider good riding on legal single track. But there was a mountain bike culture and people who were excited about it and people who were sort of proud of the heritage and proud of where it came from. And I actually, I was in independent study mostly for high school. So not a lot of kind of traditional real high school, but I managed to join the mountain bike team for another, well, a local, like normal public high school. And this was before I actually mountain biked, but I sort of went through some hoops to join the team for a mountain bike team just because it seemed kind of cool. And so then once I was on the team and realized I actually didn't really like mountain biking because uphill was hard and downhill was scary. <laughs> um, I like I was too committed to ever drop out because yeah. I'd been really enthusiastic about like getting to be part of the team. So then I was in. I find it amazing that and I, I'm speaking from personal experience here that I persevered with mountain biking because everything I was bad at everything it was just like I was a liability like I didn't understand what was going on like you know do you think that's part of why you pursued mountain biking like it gave you the experience of hopefully not being so bad at something (laughs) a very exception (laughs) thanks Alicia no um I think uh I think maybe the elements of that I think that I think the thing of mastery was really interesting Mm -hmm. to me like mastering something and I think. Do you think that exists? Do you think there's kind of an end point where you can stop progressing? I think that the better you get at something, the f- the further you have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, like the more I the more I realize I, I'm I mountain bike. Sorry, the more I realize I'm an okay mountain biker, the worse I realize I am at mountain biking. Mm-hmm. I think unless you're one of the select few that's like wins world champs or mm-hmm. as a pro, and even you think how much better a top sixty world cup rider is than me, mm-hmm. and then they think how much better a top ten world cup rider is them. And then, and then there's you got the top ten, and they look at like, and they mm-hmm. think, how do you win world champs every time? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, well, yeah, yeah, that's kind of interesting to me because, to me, that idea is sort of contrasted against the reality of getting skills in something where there are diminishing returns as you get better at something. So it's like, you can get, you can go from beginner to intermediate pretty quickly without too much work, but then after that, like becoming advanced and super advanced and next level and whatever else comes next takes so much more time and effort and work and you notice the details that you want to fix rather than just doing everything in huge brush strokes and I don't exactly know where I'm going with this except that like that seems really I mean it's connected to the idea that as you get better, you can realize how far you have to go. But then the realizations like kind of contrasted directly against the fact that it then becomes harder to yes. get there. And when you got into mountain biking, you said, you know, you kind of persevered with it. Mm-hmm. Are you quite a risk averse person or are you, are you quite gun ho? What's, what's your relationship with risk, would you say? I actually can't figure that out mm. because... In some ways, I'm pretty risk averse, and in some ways, I do things that are risky. And I think I take really measured risks. I do things. It's actually been a huge criticism from. Well, I didn't mean to mention the brain injury, no, but no, I, uh, I, slight side note. Well, to I mention, wanted to have that caveat because I wanted I want to you to talk you talk about as much as you want. 
but I want okay, you to know yeah. that I'm not going to dig into it and be there like, I oh, tell it. us some human story that's going to mm-hmm. be full of conflict and strife. And like, I don't yeah. want to fucking mine your process for interesting bits and tidbits of the internet. Thank but you. You fucking tell me as much as you want. And I'm very interested to learn. I appreciate it. And also, I was like a fully complete person before the brain injury thing. Mm. So, yeah, I just think there's, you know, if, if we're going to do getting to know you, but it'd be like there's if, um, enough there before. Oh God, yeah, and not to go on a on a tangent, but if, it's like if someone got divorced, mm-hmm. that might have changed. That might have like ri- ri- ripped up the rule book on their whole life for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and they'd be in that process. Mm-hmm. But they were they were they're an individual in mm-hmm. their own way, and they're just dealing with something at the moment. Yeah, and it's just how how it goes. You know, we we've all got. I find the idea of um, how to put this. It's kind of a strange thing to go on. I know this is the getting to know thing, but it feels like this is quite an organic conversation, so I'm just going to mm-hmm. go with it. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I once heard this idea that people are either currently or pre-disablement. Oh. Because most of us are going to end up disabled either through like an accident, an action, an mm-hmm. illness, or age. Yeah. And so it's in all our interests to understand the processes the individual goes through as mm-hmm. well as making this world as ready for people to go into a life that maybe they're, they're less able. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, we're all on a journey with them. We don't know what's going to be the big thing that impacts our lives, right? Yeah. And it could be for good or for bad, and we work in the bicycle industry, but actually mm-hmm. the industry that we might thrive in might be something that doesn't even exist now. Oh, for sure. You know, it could be anything. I think I agree with almost all of that. Mm-hmm. Except for even just the definition of a category of people who are disabled versus the not disabled, just because I think we all have things that really sort of disable us, but like really get in our way doing whatever we're trying to do. And so I think categorizing it is a good way for us to just understand the really broad spectrum. Yes. But I just don't really think it's that necessary or that useful most of the time. That's so fair. I think it's yeah. like useful sometimes, but not necessarily when it comes to understanding how all of us move through life. I think it's one of those superficially intelligent things to say. Yes. Which actually they sound, they glean pretty nice on a podcast, but when you mm-hmm. actually get to them, you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that Henry guy, he was talking some waffle. But I think you can sort of see what I was trying to get at at the very least. Yeah. Um, but talk about your, when you were growing up, what was your, did you, were you a thrill seeker? Were you, were you rebellious? What, what was your, what was your um, teenage stick? Well, I was pretty into skiing. Um, my dad liked skiing and so we'd go with him. And then I got very, very into it more than my dad ever was for a long time. And ski raced some for a while. And my brother is an incredible skier. So I skied with him a lot. And have you just got the one sibling? Yep. One sibling. Well, I have a stepsister now. Oh, okay, cool. But grew up with one sibling. Yeah. And then. Yeah, I guess I started mountain biking mostly because I thought it would be kind of like skiing. You just didn't need such specific weather conditions. <laughs> yeah. So, and it sort of was. I think a lot of it I sort of pushed myself into just because I thought it was what I should do. It was like my idea of what a person doing worthwhile things would do rather than because it was actually what I liked. And then over time I started liking all of it kind of by accident yeah and did you are you someone that loves the okay here's a question <laughs> if we only rode bikes uphill so you can have one of two options yes a form of cycling where we only go up 
mm-hmm. or a form of cycling where we only go down. Which would you choose? Would you choose like pure downhill or pure like kind of like road cycling climbing and the fitness side? Ooh, what about mountain bike climbing? Well, fine. You can do like what I'm saying is like, is it the fitness or the thrill? What, what really, what did you get your teeth into in terms of mountain biking? I think both. I think that's why I was racing enduro. But that's why you got to choose. That's, that's why the question yeah. is difficult. Oh, <laughs> I think if I had to choose, which in a normal world, I don't, but you're just creating a <laughs> stupid, cruel world. Um, I think I would choose uphill just because I think more of the reasons I mountain bike are included in uphill. Like the process of working hard at something and seeing measurable progress kind of um, directly connected to the work that you do and the ability to kind of connect with friends rather than just the individual experience of like processing terrain coming at you and responding, mm-hmm. which is also really cool. It's cool. Um, yeah, I think, well, I always preferred downhill and I think that's also more what I was like naturally good at. So I didn't have to work as hard at first at it. And so, yeah, I've sort of said I prefer downhill, but also in this kind of artificial world you've created, I think I would choose uphill. Yeah, I, I think I'd choose uphill as well. Okay. Um yeah, I love I love the the space that there's for me. There's less intrusion. I feel like, yeah. which is amazing. One of the best parts about downhill is the way that it sort of um, comes into your life and comes at you, and you have to work work around the obstacles, right? Yeah. But climbing, just in my own space, I yeah, love I love it so much. And it's so possible for climbing to be really technically challenging too. Yeah, um, I'm I'm I suck at technical climbing. I do too, but I yeah we. Can always get better. You can at always it. get better. So so positive. <laughs> now, um, so how old were you when you got your first mountain bike? Do you say? Um, around fourteen. Well, no, that's not true. I actually had a mountain bike a little bit before that, but didn't ever really mountain bike. I sort of commuted on it. But yeah, the first time I really started riding trails was around fourteen-ish, and then. So my dad actually got two mountain bikes for me, my brother, and him, my dad, mm-hmm. because we were all roughly the same size. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, so cool. we all just, you know, sort of shared the three bikes or shared the two bikes between the three of us and they worked well. Yeah. And um, were you always, we're going to get on to kind of racing and your, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your involvement with it eventually, but were you drawn to racing initially? You mentioned the mountain sort bike. Sort of. The the high school mountain bike team. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a pretty competitive person and I'm really motivated by sort of watching my own progress as I stack up in these, I don't know, kind of consistent tests. Yes. And so the racing thing works well. I didn't actually get motivated about mountain biking until I did my first race. I remember we started, it was like the junior varsity category, which doesn't mean much of anything, but... (laughs) But, you know, people yeah. who are like medium at riding bikes. Yes. And so, yeah, we started and then the girl I loosely know got a flat tire like right off the start or like a few minutes in and I stopped and pulled over to like help her and she treated me like I was really ridiculous about that. And she was like, come on, like go, you're in the race, go, like do your thing. Yeah. And so I left her and eventually like, I did pass a bunch of people, I think just because I'm afraid of doing poorly. Yes. And like not because I was especially fit or anything, but I ended up doing pretty well. Yes. Just because I was, I think, willing to suffer a lot. Mm. And so, 
yeah, passed a bunch of people and did it, showed up to another. And after that, that was when it sort of clicked what I was actually training for and how I needed to be able to stay on my bike for the entire lap and continue. Yeah. Because I also, like, I didn't have technical skill or anything. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mountain bike yet. And so I think it was kind of wild at first to envision just staying on your bike the entire time and get on a trail and then you turn onto another trail and just keep going. It just, it felt different. It's funny because I think you're quite a considered, very, um, quite a gentle soul, but I think it's funny. There's, I'd say you're in the top three gnarliest people I know. Oh, thank you. So there's Ben Hildred, who is the <laughs> ultra endurance man. I'm so honored to be in a category yeah, with him. So he, he's, he's, he's one of my closest friends. He's incredible. There's a guy called Matt Snelling who would, if you've raced in the UK, you've probably come across Matt at some point. Super gnarly guy. Just, <laughs> again, one of my closest friends. Like he will. Again, I'm so honored to be in this category. Yeah. Matt, like, you know, would uh, like do some proper, do some work and then he'd just stitch himself up with dental floss and just mm-hmm. like carry on riding, whatever. Yeah. Gnarly dude. Mm-hmm. And um, and yourself, actually. All three of you are not um, loud or... Actually, Matt's a bit loud. In fact, <laughs> Matt, Matt's a complete nightmare, come to think of it. <laughs> um, no, like... We do love you, Matt, and appreciate you. <laughs> no, I, I love Matt. This podcast does wish you the best. I am. Um, I'm sorry all... to say mean things about you. No, I'm just joking. He'll, like, he'll be laughing. No, we love you. But like, um, yeah, I know. I, I remember one time we were riding in Pemberton and can you remember that crash you had on Cop Killer? Oh, I remember this. <laughs> oh my god and it was so funny because i think it going was into so it, bad we were talking about the the benefit the pros and cons of um clips and flats oh no and i think i don't think you could get clipped in i think or something like that oh interesting so there's, there's, there's a vacuum going um so my memory re- is a little bit hazy that's from completely that fair. time period but whilst this vacuum's going we're going to stop for a very well-timed ad break thank you cleaning gods for smiling <laughs> upon us and reminding us to take an ad break yeah so we were riding in Pemberton. It was for that downcountry enduro bike field test, which is, the, I say, the first time we maybe spent any real deal of time together. That was the first time we met. That was actually yeah. the first time I met any of you. Oh, of I course. I met Casimir yeah. like a week and a half before at Sea Otter. Yeah. And then I hadn't met anyone else. And so, yeah, I showed up in Pemberton oh, and met yeah. everyone. Because that was like the autumn Sea Otter, hey? Yeah. When the world was still kind of reeling from the. Yeah. And I was living in Montana at the time. You were living in Montana. But yeah. yeah. We were riding this trail. It was piss wet through. Alicia was riding the Norco range. Oh, that's right. I was. Yeah. Forgot I was on and that, that bike. That becomes important because oh. it was a large bike, which probably, <laughs> you probably, you five, how tall are you? Five ten. I five do ten. usually so you, ride a large. Yeah. You can kind of go between, but it's, it's you know, mm-hmm. a big bike. Never ridden before. It's a before. big bike. Those, those are the days where I was trying to become Hucking Henry. It didn't <laughs> last long. I did give you that name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it back. And you had this absolutely massive, massive gnarly crash. Anyway. It was bad. It was, it was fucking gnarly, <laughs> dude. But you're okay. You hopped up. And I was like, wow, that's gnarly. And then we carried on riding down the trail. And it, the reason the bike's important is because it had the Onyx hubs, which are oh. quite silent. Yes. And so I thought that I'd like left you up on the side of the mountain <laughs> because I couldn't hear you. I didn't yeah. realize that you were right in my rear axle yes. the whole way down <laughs> on this bike you'd never ridden. <laughs> yeah, man. I was like, wow, that's, that's gnarly, man. Have you always been quite a tough, resilient person, would you say? Or do you think it's a paradox in that 
I think resilient people often find it hard to describe themselves as resilient just because their range is so much higher of toughness. And then you get like gym bros who do CrossFit twice a week and they're like, I'm going to tear the world apart. You know? Hey, I used to do CrossFit at least twice a week. I did CrossFit twice it's in one week time, and I've though. never been back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, how, um, what's your relationship with your own resilience or toughness? I think I actually see myself as a very sensitive person mm. and kind of the opposite of resilient or tough i think mostly because well no one sees what's going on internally and i can be sort of like feeling the opposite of resilient inside and just not show it and like i think that's how a lot of people are like the toughest people see their weaknesses and so Mm. like they don't come off as very tough to themselves yes i hope that's how i am i hope i'm tougher on the outside than i feel on the inside i i hope I I would I have a similar <laughs> feeling about myself. Um, you seem plenty tough on the outside. Oh man, I you you do have your sensitive moments though. Oh, I'm a very sensitive boy. <laughs> I'm a very sensitive boy. Um, so when you when you got into competition, you, you mentioned earlier when you were quite competitive. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, well, I actually started competing at the same time as I started mountain biking. Yes. So yeah. So anyway. did the two always go together? Was it always mountain biking is competition in a way? Kind of. Yeah. I never really haven't raced until around now. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I raced, I guess, through the last two years of high school, then moved to Montana, raced a little bit there, kind of casually. Like, it was actually a lot smaller. At the races, I was in the first high school league in the country, and there were like 600 kids at each race. It was kind of crazy. I was in the NorCal League of Northern California, and they actually, my second year, had to divide it into North NorCal and South NorCal. And there was North so- SoCal and South SoCal. Quirky. <laughs> so SoCal. No SoCal and So-So. Um, yes. And do you think, in a way then, because our journeys into mountain biking are very different because mm-hmm. I am not a competitive person at all. I, I never race. So mountain biking to me isn't, this is, like, is mountain biking racing to you? And what do you think, do you think you would have got to the sport if you didn't have that ability to scratch the competitive itch? I think, well, I think it has shifted for me. I think I needed the competition early on to keep motivating me in the sport. Mm. And especially enduro, like, yeah, after I moved to Montana, I met some friends who rode really gnarly trails. And then I started riding those gnarly trails and digging with them and just really shifted the way I ride. And I don't know, like got a longer travel bike and started doing enduros and sort of made my whole life about that. And that's mostly why my life looks the way it does today. And how was your, what did your life look like? Because I think you, you had, you were supported by a couple of brands, mm-hmm. but I didn't think they were throwing huge amounts of money at you. Correct, I think you yeah. were kind of just making it through. What, yeah. what level of support did you get? Were there yeah. any brands that you really felt treated you really well that you kind of would like to just say, you know, these guys or anything like mm-hmm. that? Or was it like... I don't want to give any specific shout outs yeah. right now, but I do think I had good relationships with a lot of companies. Yeah, nice. And in terms of like, racing professionally or not like I still don't actually even know I don't have an answer about what type of mountain biker I was or whatever pro or sort of pro or who knows what but yeah I mean I was getting a lot of free product and a little bit of financial support but I was living in my van and like working ski patrol in the winter and just it felt barely sustainable Mm. it wasn't it wasn't like a supportive platform where I could then pursue other things and 
like pay rent or anything like that. And was it the ma- mainly? It was the, really fun. Yes. And was it mainly the North American rounds that EWS you're focusing on? Um, as well I actually as the... did non-North American rounds of oh, EWS okay. for one season. Yeah. Um, I think 2018 I did Chile, Colombia, Whistler, Spain, and Italy. Sick. And that was a big season. It was also kind of demoralizing because it's really hard to travel by yourself around the world with pretty much no spare parts, pretty much no spare anything, and very little mechanical skill. And also sometimes crash and get hurt. That happened at one race. And just sort of be doing that on your own and then keep getting like maybe 25th if it's a good day. Mm. But like it was demoralizing. It sounds quite lonely. Yeah. It was cool. Like I, I have so much respect for all the people I was racing with and I actually, yeah, I'm still on really good terms with some of them and it was such a cool opportunity. I'm so glad I got to do that. But then the next season I did mostly North American rounds or entirely North American rounds just because I needed to, yeah, do well at US races. And that was a great season. And then there was a pandemic after that. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I, I found the World Cup's quite a lonely place to be mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, and I can imagine being a privateer, but you're not with mm-hmm. the same group of people. At least, you know what I mean? Like, yes, you might yeah. cross paths with other privateers and it's kind of like, you know, the, yeah. the orphan's Christmas sort of you thing. You like have your around. kind of distant buddies that you see every week, yeah. but that's about it. And what was straight down the nose, why didn't you make it as a pro? Like, was there mm-hmm. anything that you lacked? Was there anything you always thought, oh, if this had gone my way, or maybe if was no. it was... Because there's some people where it's like, for instance, I would never make it as a professional because I'm risk averse and quite slow. <laughs> but some people, maybe they didn't quite have the connections or they didn't mm-hmm. pick it up young enough or they didn't have the right guidance. Or, you know, what yeah. if you could have changed one thing to increase your chances, what would it have been? I don't know if there's one thing that I can really pinpoint. EPO? I can would think you of a lot EPO? of things. Oh, yeah. That would, <laughs> I'm not sure if that would really get me there, but it would make me faster in yeah. some ways, at least. Done. Um, yeah, but almost every way that I can think of being successful works i'm just not quite there yes like i well for one thing i'm just not quite fast enough and i wasn't really pursuing it for long enough i think to really establish myself like the season that i was the fastest was my last season racing which was the year before the pandemic but things were really on the up and i just never that was the year i started kind of like training kind of seriously and so i was fitter than i'd ever been and i was like winning all the pedally stages and that felt great. And so I was excited to keep pursuing it. Just then there was a pandemic. And do you think, how to put this? Though also, I don't want to keep leaning into the pandemic thing because also so many racers have succeeded despite that. Yes. Like that's not really a valid excuse. No, it's uh, mostly just that I see it as a time everything stamp. was put on hold for yeah. a while. And so I pursued other things. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, I think that's very... I wasn't taking it as that, like you said, oh. Okay, well, and if I, I, someone me, would if I didn't correct myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think um, it, to me it just felt like that was that was the way that you, we describe that period of time. Yeah, it you just, know? everything shifted. Everything shifted. It was very strange. Mm-hmm. It was very strange. Um, yeah, with, what was your best result? Maybe, EWS, maybe, uh, what, what was, was there any standout mm-hmm. thing you thought, you know what, I really did what I wanted to do there? Or the, or the best yeah. showcase of that? In terms of EWS, I never really had that. I think my best result might be like 18th or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the race, I can only think of one race I've ever crashed out of. Mm. 
whether EWS or local or whatever. Is that the Whistler one? Um, no, it was the Spain one. Oh, but didn't you have I, a horrible crash in Whistler? Or some Canadian no, I don't think bike so. park or something like this? I think you told me ages ago there's a thing that you thought you could roll that you couldn't or something. Huh. I can't remember. I'll Maybe. need to think some more about this because yeah. I don't remember it, but hmm. I've lost memory. You yeah, haven't as much. I've lost memory. I've also, <laughs> I've, yeah. But anyway, so what was the Spain crash like? Spain crash. My dropper post, I think the something with it malfunctioned so it shot up while I was in a technical oh, section. No. And so, yeah, I just kind of shot over the bars onto a chest on my rock or on a rock yes. on my chest. And that was pretty painful. It swelled up. The swelling was actually pretty ridiculous. Yes. And one of the more painful things I've experienced. And quite dangerous. Like, yes. Like things though, like that can really. Yeah, they can mess you up. Yeah. It didn't for me though. I went and got checked out. I got an x-ray and it like my sternum wasn't broken, which yeah. was the main concern. Yes. But right. I also couldn't, I couldn't even like wear a seatbelt. I was driving from Spain to Italy right after that. And I'm sort of scared of all the drivers there. Yeah. But. Yeah, I couldn't wear a seatbelt or anything just because the pain was a lot. A lot. Yeah. I had a really but weird no one. real injury that I can point to, which is a little frustrating. <laughs> Every time I have nothing broken, I just get a little bit mad about not having a good <laughs> excuse for being so in pain. Yeah, right. Um, so then why did you, obviously, yeah, 2020 was a very strange way world for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Lots of weird things happened. I mean, um, I went into 2020 feeling like I had a firm grip on what my life was going to look like. Um, by the end of the year, I was living in a different country, mm-hmm. having quit my job with nothing planned mm-hmm. and was having a very different time time of year. Yeah. What, what was your 2020 like? It sounds like it was quite a pivotal year for you. It was interesting. Um, yeah, I started 2020. I was working ski patrol at Arizona Snowball. It was, I think, like my eighth, winter working ski patrol ski patrol so, arizona arizona snowball yeah i moved down there great, i was in montana for the I mean? eight years yes that, that, that could be a great like chapter or something ski yes. patrol like that like an indie band from the early it noughties. was a fascinating time period you was it good in a lot of ways <laughs> but yeah i mean i moved down there because i was in montana before that and moved into my van and i was cold yes and also i could ride in sedona all the time if i lived in flagstaff and the ski area was actually really fun to work. It was very busy. It was kind of like spring break every day. So people would come up and get drunk and then crash because they'd never seen snow before, but <laughs> the conditions were like not that friendly. Yeah. Um, so we actually had like severe trauma oh, no. all the time, Yes. which was, I don't want to say that as such a good thing because it's like obviously very tragic for a lot mm. of the people involved, but it kept me extremely busy and gave me a lot of really cool experience. And so with ski patrol, Mm-hmm. To what extent you trained medically? Um, I'd say lightly. Lightly. Most people have Are you just like rolling the basic the EMT like a- or something pretty similar. <laughs> okay. So yeah, lightly. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so what happened in 2020 to give us apart from the coronavirus? What what did it look like? It sounds like you finished racing mm-hmm. in 2020. Yeah, sort of. So 2020 started. I was working ski patrol. Things were going well. Then this whole pandemic happened. The ski area shut down. I all the races were cancelled. I suddenly was left with absolutely nothing going on and was living in my van. The gym was closed. I was showering at the gym and working out a lot at the gym at the time. And so I was sort of left drifting yes. with almost nothing going on. In Flagstaff, Arizona, where I'd moved a few months earlier, 
mostly to continue riding bikes to train for races that were no longer happening. Yes. Wow. And I knew no one there. Yes. So then Sounds by that hard. point I knew my coworkers, but yeah, it wasn't exactly like a community to lean on in a pandemic. And then, yeah, I'd wanted to start paragliding for a long time. So then the beginning of the pandemic was when I sort of decided to jump into that and went in kind of all in, like extremely, extremely deep for a beginner, I would say. And it actually turned out to be one of the most magical things I've ever experienced and really, really rewarding for me. So yeah, it played out really well. 2020 was just a lot of paragliding mostly. Mm. And then at the end of the year, I just happened to be on pink bike and it was mostly, yeah, I mean, I was just on pink bike and saw that they were hiring some people and it seemed kind of cool. It seemed like maybe something I could do. I had actually studied journalism in college largely because I like the style of a lot of journalism and because you can, you have a lot of freedom. It doesn't, you know, specify what topic you're going to focus on. So you can kind of write about anything under the umbrella of journalism. And it's a great excuse to research whatever you want and kind of license to interview anyone you want. So you can hear about kind of anything happening in the world that you're curious about. So I think that's cool. And so I had a degree kind of just applied on a whim um, to Pink Bike. And then I didn't check my email for a really long time after that, <laughs> nice. because why would I? I was just living in my van as like a washed up bike racer. Yeah. Um, and weeks later, checked it and saw a very old email from Pink Bike asking to interview me, but I'd already missed all the dates they suggested for oh, an interview. Shit. So I had to send this like sad message back being like, hi, like, sorry, I missed this. I'd actually really love to talk to you. Can we reschedule? Yeah. And it actually has worked out. Like, clearly I have a job right here, right now. And that's pretty great. And what was that first interview like? Because Kaz's was at Tim Hortons with Levy. <laughs> um, yes. my, my first interview was incredibly informal. Um, what was yours? Wait, like? whose was yours with? Mine was with Brian. Oh, nice. And um, so I'd quit GMBN with no plan mm-hmm. to work in media ever yeah. again. I was, okay. I was just going to go back to New Zealand, I thought, eventually. Yeah. Um, work as a bike mechanic. Uh-huh. And I just was kind of kind of done with everything. Understandable. And um, and so I wrote to Brian with the strict instructions that I wasn't going to do. Not instructions, but the strict <laughs> offer that I'd be interested in doing some freelance work, but mm-hmm. it was never going to be any video mm-hmm. or any podcast. <laughs> Because I was just like, I was quite lost. I, I, was, I was not really enjoying that, that aspect of yeah. my, um, my role previously. And then we just got chatting and it was when there was a lot of changes happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And we just talked for two hours and we didn't even mention bikes. That's great. And um, then we had another interview and mm-hmm. we finally mentioned bikes. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, got kind of suggested. And it's funny, that conversation was really nice and it gave me a lot of faith. And then the idea about videos was brought up in the second conversation Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel that we have the understanding that I can go into that. Mm-hmm. I felt um, previously, it's hard. I, I'm a sensitive soul, as we talked about earlier. Of course. On. And, uh, you know, when your face is on the tin, you really give a fuck about its contents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I didn't really care about being out there. I just wanted to be proud of my work. Yeah. And I felt like I had the understanding and trust with Brian that, like, I was going to hopefully be able to make be part of something that I was really proud of. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been a Pink Bike fan for, for forever. Yeah. And so it was really bizarre that like they, Pink Bike, gave a fuck about me, Henry yeah. Shitbox Quinny. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was wild. I know the feeling. So, so who was your interview with? 
It was with James Smurthwaite, who James no longer Smith. works he, here, but he's, he's amazing. Great, great bugger. I love James. He's dearly. great. He's kind, very good journalist, works at the BBC now. Yes. Um, Seriously, yeah. It's pretty great that we had him here. And know, very sad that we no longer have him. Yeah, but. I mean, you know, we, we've, got, we've got great staff throughout, and I respect everyone, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. I think we're really, really lucky. Yeah, but actually, I agree. James moving away in the, would have been the spring, um, for, mm-hmm. uh, moving away from his role at Pink Bike, mm-hmm. you having your accident later on in the year, mm-hmm. and then and Sarah going on maternity leave. It's a rough year. We, like, the three, I, to be honest, in my opinion, like, sort of, I, I put Kaz in that group as well, for the record, but the four of you are the real unsung heroes and you just get shit oh, thank done. Thank you. And the reason that, you know, like we talked about in a, on a previous regular podcast, we'll be aware that Levy's taking some time off at the moment. Mm-hmm. There have been times I've gone and done the World Cup thing. Mm-hmm. There have been times where we've done silly little projects and Matt Beer's done Downhill Week, which is obviously amazing, you know. And mm-hmm. the reason that we can do these things is because the backbone, the spine of Pink Bike with you guys is so unbelievably <laughs> strong, you know. and um, and like, I know I, I didn't think there's enough appreciation in, t- in terms of internally or the audience. I don't think they realise like just how much, how much great work that core was always doing. And I think it, it became more apparent when people started moving away you know, and, and doing other things. And it was like, oh, wow, James was just amazing. Mm-hmm. You, yourself, just so wonderfully productive. And you, I think you did everything because you did the tech stuff as well, as well as always having your finger on the pulse in terms of news. and. um Thank you. I and, really um, appreciate hearing no, that. Oh man. I mean, I don't know. I, I suppose I was always maybe, I was always angling to get you more in, in the tech department. Um, I <laughs> Thank was, you for that. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, was angling for that myself. Yeah. I love testing bikes. You know, it's so much fun. It's and, so um, fun. It was, it's so, it's so good. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that just, just so maybe we can correct the record once and for all, mm-hmm. like the, the, the one with the, the the wolf with the loudest bark isn't the wolf that's like brings down the biggest beast. You know what I mean? Actually, mm-hmm. within pink bike, like field, like state of the sports level was left up to me this year, and I, I yeah. fucked it up. It was awful. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I got hurt and left you with that. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> sorry for many reasons God, that I got man, hurt, but you uh, threw me under the bus. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I um, I have uh, much I had intentions of being helpful. Yes, yes, <laughs> story of my life, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so you, you joined pink bike. I had an interview mm-hmm. with James Smurthwaite, and James is a very soft, kind person, incredibly hard working. But also so, car- so sarcastic in a really sharp, woody way. Likes like the heaviest, Delightful. gnarliest music. I love it. Yeah, just a fantastic guy. Um, mm-hmm. Loves racing. Um, what was your... I kind of hope he listens to just to this, just so he can hear that we're such fans of him. I really hope so too. I mean, I... <laughs> I you know, like, to be fair to... Pink bike, pink bike, like any organization is, isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, there were lots of things like I really, really like and respect to my colleagues and mm-hmm. we get on and we get the job done. But it's not to say like, like any group of people that there are disagreements, different ways people want to do things, but there have been some really great hires, mm-hmm. you know, I'd like my, I, I really like, for instance, um, you know, Dario's kind of come on board now. Dario's excellent. Dario's we have great. such a good crew right now. Fucking Matt Beer's the absolute boy. Oh my I God. Love- that is amazing. I want to shout out so many people. There's so many people, yeah. great people in the I have a long list I want to shout team, out too, but in the video team, Max, yeah. Baron, Tom, oh, Stefan, yeah. Christina. Like we're just so lucky. And yeah, yep. I don't know. I don't want to go on some like birthday card <laughs> list, but there's so much to make this thing happen. And it's weird yeah. because in some ways it's just a bicycle website. 
but in other ways yeah. it's like there's a lot of people that you don't see I mean, and when people say like well, where's Levy where's Levy yeah that, that, and that's what annoys me I'm like do you realize how many people are in this and it's also the where's Levy thing I just want to like rant about that for half a second yeah it he's clearly shown that he doesn't want to say where he is yeah. Yeah, like totally dude's taking some time off and that's the only information he shared so yes. like the fact that you want something beyond that is well, unnecessary imagine if you worked in a bank yeah and you're my favorite bank teller yeah. and I make a deposit of a hundred quid every day uh-huh. And then one day you're not there. And yeah. I said, where's Alicia? And they said, oh, I can take your bank. And I said, I prefer to speak to Alicia. Fair enough. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it went to be like, but where is she? Well, actually, that's a different thing. <laughs> that is a very diff- different yeah. thing. And like, and I'm like, yeah. Ooh. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I love, I'm really grateful that um, the Pink Bike audience actually gives a fuck. And that's actually pretty mm-hmm. cool. But it's hard, man. And like, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, kind of just keeping the seat warm doing this podcast things but thank you for that well it's not some like some master plan it was just like, oh well somebody better do it and i yeah i really i know it's, it's weird the whole thing's weird i mean this is the most we've spoken about it mm-hmm. um and maybe the most we will speak about it but yeah, he's taking some time off yeah good for him i hope, it, I hope he's having a great time sim racing endlessly most likely <laughs> probably sneaking out on a gravel bike every now and then naturally um but yeah weird um but then again it's the internet and the internet's a crazy place the internet's a crazy place. How have you found being on the internet? It's weird to me that I'm publicly seen on the internet. Mm. I think that's, I'm just not really someone who wants to have like a public persona. Ooh. That doesn't feel very natural to me. Yes. I think I'm a relatively private person most of the time. Yes. And also I think the best content, the best writing, things like that happen when you're not that private and when you talk about things that well, I guess it's most relevant to the whole injury thing that we're trying not to fixate on. Yes. But it's a part yeah. we can have It's a huge part of what I've written about recently. Also just because that's, I think you get the best content when you are invested emotionally and sincerely involved with it. Yeah. Do you think that the head injury has made you a three-dimensional character to our audience or a one-dimensional character? Do you know what I mean? Do you think they've mm. gone from like, wow, this person's clearly got a big complication going on in their life. Yeah. And think about the full human experience that comes with that, the full bandwidth of experience. Mm-hmm. Or this person is a head injury. I like the first option you gave, but I think it's going to be this person is a head mm. injury. I think in some ways it's, well, even just seeing the timeline of it has expanded some people's idea of what it means to be injured. Because head injuries are different from almost all other injuries in that the timeline, like I'm almost 10 months out now and if I say that to a doctor they're like oh wow it's been no time at all mm-hmm. whereas if I say that to someone who's used to getting broken bones they expect it to be healed and good as new in the first couple of months which just isn't going to happen at all for me like a couple of months in I was still in the hospital and so you know yeah it just is it's good to have a real life example to point to but bad because I don't want to think about it in, in the in in relation to have you know a bit of like you're saying that the best I, I believe so too I think you know self-expression is tantamount to happiness mm-hmm. and I think I told this we might even spoken about it before so I, I don't want to I don't want to bag on but um, last year I had a few deaths of people that were really close to me and it mm-hmm. really fucked me up man and I was very very sad mm-hmm. and um, one of them I found out they were going to die um, they were very ill and they weren't very old and it was very sad 
I think it was like two days before your head injury. Oh, wow. And um, so I said, I said goodbyes to many things that are very important to me last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and um, I'm so fucking happy. I didn't have to say goodbye to you, man. Oh, thank you. I don't know. It's, I'm getting a bit, sorry, this is clickbait gold. It's getting, getting very emotional. But it, it, We're it was, actually sitting in the room getting was, emotional right now. I was in Argentina. My life was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, one, one of the people who was very important to me growing up who was rather elderly, so you take it as it comes. One of them is someone that was incredibly close to me growing up who was same age as us and very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I had this really weird week and, uh, and I just went, I went to bed for a long time mm-hmm. and uh, I'm tremendously, in all the, in the lieu of whether we're three-dimensional characters or one-dimensional characters or whether I'm just a fucking meme, I don't know, <laughs> but my God, I'm so happy for, to work with people I actually really give a fuck about. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy for modern medicine and I'm just fucking stoked that you're here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm pretty stoked to be here right now no, too. It's not bad. It's not bad at it's all. It's really not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. Things are different now, but just fine. <laughs> things are different. <laughs> Very. Yeah. Things are different. and mm-hmm. But things will, you know, the water's Life got Life keeps going on. Yeah. Time will keep passing no totally. matter what we do. And the That's actually keep- something I've reminded myself of constantly. Yes. Like this hasn't exactly been my favorite life phase. Yes. And there, and that feels like a mild euphemistic way to say it. <laughs> um, just <laughs> swinging between between general emotional rawness and then just dry, dry sense humor. <laughs> well, it ain't been great. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I constantly remind myself that no matter what I do time's going to keep passing mm. and so it, it's inevitable that i'll be in a different life phase before too long and like, you don't know what evil it kept you from yeah do you know what i mean uh-huh i really i always think that like, there's no alternate reality there is no that, alternate reality yeah. and think of all the people that thought winning the lottery was gonna be the best thing for them mm-hmm. or people that thought six, fame and success was gonna give them everything wanted oh man and that just sent them on a collision course for something different yeah i we've we spoken about this before but i think that you could, yeah, win the lottery and get hit by a bus. Oh, yeah. Y- you know, you just, you just don't know. And so maybe the next day, if you hadn't gone to that jump jam, mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. You just don't know. I was pretty tired. Um, I mean, this is like a silly minor thing, but I was like genuinely, sincerely exhausted mm. right before I went to that. And so I still was really enthusiastic about being there and still so thankful that I got to be. But I needed to go to sleep for like, a long time mm. and well i did by accident with the coma but <laughs> oh, she slept for six weeks <laughs> how, how long were you in the coma for i actually don't know because i don't know the exact definition of a coma oh okay i think within the first few days i started waking up mm. pretty intermittently i mean i'd be awake for like 30 seconds at a time and i'd wake up and say something like i need to get out of here and then go back unconscious and mm. they'd be like well she's not getting out of here and how did you feel i'm sorry cause we said we weren't gonna talk about it, but Oh I man! Feel, no, because yeah. I, I, I'm very happy to talk about it. It is a lot of what it. I think about. But like I said, it's it's something that like I don't know. I just didn't want to like feed the one-dimensional side. Thank you. You know, yeah. Um, but I'm also totally fine to talk about it. You're also a three-dimensional person, so it's yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> how did you feel looking back now, thinking that you were out of reality mm-hmm. for a while? Yeah. Suspended in time and space. Yes. And there was this huge internet ball of concern. Oh man! Yeah. And just, just before we answer that question, I would just like to maybe draw a parallel to something that's going on at the moment, 
yes. with Levy being away. Oh, yeah. And whilst this was happening and you were having a bad time, there mm-hmm. was some really angering comments that I find quite annoying. That Pink really? Like, was under some conspiracy yeah. to not report on this. Actually, it was your personal. Also, and if you think like that you're people, entitled to that, you can get fucked. Like, yeah, it's not people who think there's business. some conspiracy think Pink Bag is much more organized than it is. Yeah. So, oh, like, God, yes. we don't have yeah. we don't have it together enough to organize any conspiracy. And I think maybe that's why I've kind of got my back up so much in mm-hmm. Levy's privacy. Yeah, is because I'm just like you know what? Can you remember just six like, months ago, whatever it was? We're also just normal people. Yeah, when so one of us was having a bad time and they needed some privacy. Yeah, and like someone else wants some privacy now. Just please, just. Give him some fucking time, man. Yeah. my fucking nothing. Sorry. That's it real. Gets, it gets me really annoyed. And I completely under- understandable. Yeah. Anyway. Not a, yeah. I think it's maybe a bit of hang up about that because I think as a group, mm-hmm. it was really obviously not nothing to, compared to what you went for, went through, but it was really hard for us mm-hmm. to see that and have sure. our, our sort of concern for you called into question. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, fuck, it was so upsetting. Yeah. Um, obviously that's, that's, that's small potatoes that's not the, the point no that makes sense but it was it's, quite it was like one of us yeah. was hurt and like, we were being called pieces of shit for not giving a fuck and we were there like yeah and like that's also, my friend there's a difference between caring and publishing something about it yeah. like they can be interested in how I'm doing and also just decide not to publish the thing that'll become the number one search result for me forever yes and like definitive will like attempt at definitive facts when really nothing is known about how I'm doing yes I don't know it, it was wild it's understandable to me that you guys didn't publish anything. Yeah, and, and also just like, yeah, there are a lot of just like privacy concerns too yeah. and just not wanting to encroach on my boundaries that were unknown since I was unconscious. Yeah. And It was yeah, a wild was a lot. time. It was, and also we're, we just like bicycles. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, we're getting a lot of advice and mm-hmm. Brian, you know, mm-hmm. was absolutely great in terms of being a firewolf from the real world to the yeah. internet world and oh, bicycle he protects world. us so much. Yeah, he really does. And um, it was a very, I mean, I don't want to back, like, I'm, we're really lucky that people give a shit about our jobs, even yes. you know, in, in internet land, because it's That's their interest. That's been kind of mind-blowing to me, actually. Yeah, it's their interest that gives us a job. Yeah. So I don't want to be, I don't want to, obviously people listen to this, although I keep forgetting that, because it's quite, <laughs> quite an earnest conversation. Yeah. Um, but I don't want people to feel that, like, their curiosity is, isn't welcome. I just wish they'd run it through a filter, like, as if. In yeah. this case, you're a real person on the end of it. Yeah. Like if it was their neighbor or their friend or how would, how would they mm-hmm. feel? Because It's bizarre to have an internet persona and also have a big life event like that happen. Yeah. And how does, for you, how, how would, you know, going from journalist, mm-hmm. there's actually a journalist credentials, which is quite rare in the bike world. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, well, not thank you, because that wasn't. That's just a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. Yeah. You did it yourself. Don't thank me. Oh, yeah. I um, did go to school. <laughs> And you start then appearing on video and more podcasts and things like that. How was your yeah. run up to that level more exposure? Was it? Um, it feels reasonable, mm-hmm. mostly just because I sort of put it out of my mind that other people are going to listen or watch um, in the moment. And right now I'm just kind of hanging out, having a conversation with you. And that feels mm. pretty normal because that's what we do all the time. Um, yeah, I didn't really go into this job with intentions of ever being seen publicly. Mm. I kind of like writing and I like that when I'm writing something I have time to like reread it and consider (laughs) how it's going to be received and like when you think of something is a really different time from when you decide to present that thing to the world yes and so that's kind of a good safety bubble we don't really have that with podcast or video Mm -hmm. like at least I'm not the person doing the editing so I definitely (laughs) don't have that 
Um, speaking of editing, let's take five seconds there for an ad break. So that was your kind of journey within Pinkbike. But yeah. let's talk about your the, the, the life that was happening around bikes and around your career. Yeah. Born in California, then went to Montana. Yes. You got into paragliding. The paragliding, yep. I think you said, was good in Montana, right? Um, I, I sort confused? of, yeah. yeah. Montana changes a lot based on the season. Yeah. Um, paragliding tends to be better in warm weather and when things are heating up, so spring tends to be really good. Montana, you're just sort of locked in snow for a while, mm. but that's totally fine. You can also go speed flying in the winter and like there are so many options for still getting out and still flying and good skiing and good friends. And yeah, I built a life there that really worked. And am I right in thinking it would have been late 20, maybe late 2021, early 2022, you moved to Bellingham. Um, would that be right? Yeah. Around early 2022. Yeah. Yeah. And what prompted that move was it? Kind of just wanted to be closer to the bike world. Yeah. So I started working for Pink Bike right at the beginning of 2021. Went back to Montana, but didn't actually ride bikes for my job at all yet. Mm. But I, yeah, I was in Montana for a while and had kind of a weird year where it felt like that chapter might be sort of coming to an end. Then went to field test where I met all my coworkers oh, yeah. and your van broke down and was fixed at the last my, minute. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That was a great field trip. It was an excellent experience all around. Mm. And then, yeah, Casimir lives here. I feel like that field test, sorry to just go back, but it was like some yellow brick road. Yeah. Everyone had their thing to come through. I nearly died mm -hmm. of mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of, I think, really kind of incorporated yourself into the group. Levy got back testing again after taking some time away from testing. Kaz mm -hmm. basically just guided the ship as always. As he does. And it was like, it was really cool. It was like, yeah, I don't know who's who. I think, um, but yeah, there was, there was this weird journey of that field test, even though it was only like two and a half weeks. Yeah. And um, we just, it was a really great time. It was a really special time, man. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Yes. And then I went back to Montana for a little bit. Um, but I still wanted to ride bikes and it was about to be winter. Mm. And I also wanted to test bikes more. It doesn't really work to test mountain bikes if you live in a place with a lot of snow in the winter. Yeah. So, yeah, then I went to the value bike field test with all my coworkers again. And that was sort of the transitional period. Like I had committed to moving to Bellingham, but hadn't actually moved yet. And so everyone again got to ride bikes in the winter. It felt yeah. like during that value bike field test, and maybe the subsequent Bellingham enduro field test, mm -hmm. your riding really stepped up a notch. I don't know if that's fair oh. to say. I felt like maybe you were just getting more confident in terms of like maybe with style. Yeah. It was like styling up on jumps or features, or whatever. Okay. It suddenly felt before when we'd ride together, obviously it was quite limited. It was just a couple of weeks, but mm -hmm. really competent, really precise, but you weren't like throwing shapes or anything. And then suddenly I was in Europe seeing pictures. Of, oh, wow. <laughs> it feels like, may, I don't know, maybe sometimes it can be showcasing the skills you already have better or yeah. actually learning new things. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not really sure. I don't have a good answer for that mm. because I don't think I really developed any new skill in that time. I just basically was in the snow in Missoula. Mm. Um, but mentally I became part of the crew a little bit more and became more comfortable yes. riding and also became more comfortable riding in front of a camera. Yeah, it's weird that, hey. Is Bellingham home now? It is, yeah. And do you think it'll be home for this foreseeable? Yes, I like it there and have settled there. And I'm happy for It's you, good. Man. That's so cool. Yeah, come yeah. down and visit. Come I hang. need to come down and visit. I'm locked in Canada at the moment. Oh, right. But as soon as I'm not, I'll be yes. down there. I think, okay. um, yeah, I think that's a nice place to leave it. Yeah. It's been a really lovely chat. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I so appreciate it. And I think we oversold this a little bit. It's not really a getting to know podcast because we didn't really like cover well, me very much. I but think we covered it's a good you conversation. I think it was a good conversation so like, around your life. Yeah. But if you ever want to do a part two of getting to know. Potentially. I would love to do this we'll like, see, maybe we'll annually, see. like to come back, like checking in. Maybe yeah, we could I think from... I'll come on the podcast more often nowadays. So. Yeah, it'd be so fucking great, yeah, man. We'll make it happen. And that was it. That was Alicia's Getting to Know podcast. I'm glad that it's out there. It was so fun to record. And like I said, we'll definitely have to come back and do a part two. Now, we're going to go back, cast our mind back to before time when the podcast was a bit more organized. And we also used to do questions. So please do get your questions into the comment section on the website for your chance to be featured. This one is actually, again, off the Pinarello article. I think it's quite true. Litany says that this bike, it's, it's quite on the nose, is the Quasimodo of mountain bikes. And he thought that Italians were supposed to be good at styling. Kaz, why do you think, why do you think there's such a difference between European and North American styling when it comes to mountain bikes? Put me on the spot. I mean, that's a good question. I don't actually know. I mean, I mean, there's got to be some wacky North American, but yeah, we're boring over is. here maybe. You, could, you can tell without the name on the down tube yeah. where it's going to come from sometimes, just from the weird stays yeah it's all in the stays baby maybe it has Mm -hmm. to do with like supercars or something they want the extra curves and make it kind of like you know different but um i don't know yeah i'm not that was a wild looking bike and i'm the curved top tubes like always the hunch top tubes is what gets me like mondraker used to be guilty of it years ago and we've seen other companies do it but i think if you're making a bike or you're thinking about designing one make the top tube straight it just looks so much better at least for 90 percent of the population yeah Alicia, why do you think there's such a difference? Do you think it's a cultural thing? Do you think there's an element of, you know, a utilitarian approach to maybe more of an artistic approach, going hopping over the Atlantic back and forth? Mm. To be honest, I've never thought about that question until right now, so I don't have a very good answer. (laughs) It might be sort of the utilitarian thing. It might also just be like kind of efficiency. I kind of, I think a lot of it is tied to my idea of like, even just building design and architecture and Europe having so much more history to have, or just time to have developed their styling. Whereas like America sort of just has to speed along to getting it done because we've had less Buckets time of chicken, to catch up. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <Lucky charms. laughs> yeah. This is what. Oh yeah. The, oh yeah. This is what we do Ford here. Ford F-150 is a small family hatchback. <laughs> 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 yeah there's some kind of thing there. i like yeah. the inclusion of the f-150 in that category of things you're naming i mean it's they're, honestly they're one and the same for me things that i just bore cut like what the hell is that about and they're buckets of chicken Charms Sorry, and buckets F-150. of chicken are absolutely fine i'm into the bucket of chicken um i love when they let you bring your own bucket as well i go to canadian tire pick up a 10 liter jobby and then go to kfc um but anyway no i think it's really interesting i think that hmm i think there's an element of like artistry about European bikes. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. they forget that how to put this people will justify having a bike that rides really well, that maybe looks slightly simpler, but they find it hard to justify a bike that looks complicated. And until Thomas Pidcock went and won worlds on a Pinarello, people were deeply skeptical of it. Yeah, exactly. It does help to put one of the fastest racers Mm -hmm. in the world on your wild looking bike and then be like, oh, maybe it's all right, but But it's still Honestly, put me on that Pinarello and then see if you want to. (laughs) It will not be good. No, not the same result. (laughs) 
I think we should do this new video idea. Yeah. Henry wipes value off stock market. <laughs> <by brands. laughs> um, now, before we go today, we're going to finish off with Music Corner. And my recommendation or my little thing I've been enjoying is a live version by David Bowie and the Foo Fighters of Hello Space Boy. It's just got so much energy. It's got such a particular vibe to it. It's sort of that, I don't know, when there was a lot of that sort of industrial rock coming out and I just think it's really, really great. So I'm going to include that in the article. Alicia, do you have a recommendation for your music corner? Oh, sure. I Well, this is all a little last minute because I just got the idea of music corner sprung on me about <laughs> two seconds ago. Don't um, tell him that. <laughs> but Henry, I'm going to listen to yours right now because that actually sounds pretty great. I'm going to toss out um, on YouTube, NPR does the Tiny Desk Concert series and someone named Tash Sultana has an excellent Tiny Desk Concert that is maybe one of my favorite videos on the internet ever. Um, yeah, it's just her, just Tash um, performing solo, but she plays like many instruments and creates a lot of effects by recording loops and layering her own um, music over itself, basically. And so I, yeah, I just find that video to be really great. I'm going to recommend that one. Nice. And Kaz. Cool. And mine, I, this is, oh, I have two because I go with the Tiny Desk it's concert. It's Ted Nugent, isn't it? It's Ted Nugent. Uh, I can't really <laughs> recommend Ted Nugent, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But Juvenile did a Tiny Desk concert recently. That's amazing. So people should check out Juvenile and Tiny Desk concert. But the the song that I've been listening to a lot lately is, um, it's by The Smile and it's called Bending Hectic. And The Smile's a couple members from Radiohead. It's like Tom York and, um, I'm blanking on the name, Tom York and Johnny Greenwood. So it's basically like Radiohead, but maybe a little bit harder, like I don't want to call it prog rocky edge, but they kind of go different directions than Radiohead typically goes. Um, so worth a listen. Yeah, the smile. I'm making some good Wonderful. noise. Cool. Well, that's it from the Pink Bite Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll catch you next time.